Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Ephesians, that's where we are. Jonathan started the season, uh, the series, the season, it sounds like a Netflix show, uh, series last week uh, in the beginning of um, Ephesians 1. And I'm going to be finishing off Ephesians 1 today, the second half of the chapter, as Karen's just read. And as you probably saw, if you were around last week, it's not like Paul gives us any ease in with this letter. There's the normal kind of, hey, I'm Paul, you're the Ephesians great grace to you bit at the beginning which you get in the letters but then it's like bang into what is one of the most wonderful I think uh, the passage last week one of those wonderful and but still quite dense passages in the whole Bible you're just hit last in the last week's passage with wave after wave after wave of these great things that God does for us and if you weren't here last week um, please, please check out the, uh, Jonathan's talk and please go back to the beginning of Ephesians and read that on your own it's an incredible uh, incredible chapter and what we find today is that Paul, he doesn't now kind of have a break. He doesn't really even pause for breath. He just continues in a very similar vein, but maybe takes things from a slightly different angle. And whereas I think last time we saw God's blessing that God has for us that leads us to be a rejoicing community together, I think today what we're going to see is how we can get to know this generous God better. I hope uh, as you read the beginning of Ephesians and see all about how God's adopted us and chosen us and given us wisdom and given us his spirit and all of these things, you think, there's something in you thinks, well, wait a minute, I, this God is so good, I'd like, I wish I knew him better, I'd like to get to know him better. Well, that's where Paul's mind goes on here, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you're asking the question, how can I know God better? That is the question I want to be addressing today, because I think that's the question Paul addresses. And there's lots of help with us in different ways in this passage. But as we end, in just over 20 minutes, uh, there's a really practical thing we can do uh, as well that we find at the end of this passage. And all I want to do, very simply, I just want to go back slowly through the passage that Karen has read for us. Um, I'm just going to take verse after verse. It's quite sequential. It's in, it's in a pretty clear order. And I'm just going to dwell on each verse and help us to think through it. Okay, so let's go back to verse 15 and see, see where we go from. We're reading from the NIV today, just in case you're, you're confused. I'm taking a bit of a detour from the normal NLT. Uh, verse 15 says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Stop. Um, when a passage in the Bible starts with, for this reason, or maybe therefore, or something like that, it, it shows you need to look back to find out what, what the reason is. And the reason here, for this reason, could be the whole of what Jonathan preached on last week. Again, listen to it if you haven't heard it already. It's great. Um, but I think what he's honing in on, actually, is something that he's just said to this group of Christians in Ephesus, which is in verse 13, where he says, you heard the truth, you believed in Christ. Basically, for this reason, what's the reason he's writing? It's because these people are Christians. That's what he's saying. And he underlines it in this verse. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. What Paul's saying is, what I'm about to write to you is not for everybody. It's for those who've accepted Jesus as their Lord, as you guys have. Okay? And who are living that out in lives of love for others. Now, um, I would guess, well, it's not really a, well, it's not really a guess, actually, because I know a load of you guys, but my, my guess would be that most people here, would, that, would fit, fit you, that description would fit you, um, okay, following Jesus uh, as a Christian. But I'd also guess, uh, and I'd hope, actually, that there would be uh, some of you guys here who you're not quite sure whether that, would fit, uh, that description would fit you. You might not call yourself uh, a Christian, uh, or you might not be sure. You might be thinking, oh, maybe I was once, or I'm coming back. I don't know where I stand on this stuff, actually, uh, at the moment. And 
I just want to say, if that's you, if you're in either of those uh, camps, you're not sure or you're not a Christian, uh, I'd first of all want to say thank you so much uh, for coming to our church gathering today. We, we really, uh, really appreciate that you would, you would come here. And I, I would imagine, if, particularly if you've not been to a church like this before, that this might be a slightly foreign environment in some places. It might be slightly odd, let's put it like that, in some ways as well. Often people don't gather together and all sing together and uh, look at a book written 2,000 years ago. There's lots of odd things in this, uh, these gatherings we know. But we really uh, appreciate that you're here. And my hope for you, and, and I know the hope of many of us here, would be that you would find uh, things that are really meaningful and helpful in, in our service today uh, that would help you. And what we're about to read, this, this passage... In one sense, it's, it's, well, not in one sense, it isn't primarily directed at you. This is directed, what I'm going to say, at those who have heard the truth and believed in Jesus. But I want you to know this is, I hope, really relevant to you. And I would hope that as you see this, and as you see what, what Paul says to those who've accepted Jesus, it would, at the very least, intrigue you to think, hmm, what would it be like if I did that? What would it look like if I became a Christian, if I heard this and followed Jesus. And I want to get your imagination going, going a bit, because I think what Paul maps out here, um, I found in my life really, really, uh, well, I say really helpful. That's an understatement. It's the core of who I am. And I'd love you to know that too. And so if you're in those categories, please come and, come and grab me or any other Christians you've come with today. Ask any questions you want. And we'd love to continue a conversation uh, if that's the case, because you get a window into what it is to be a Christian today. And that's what we're going to look at. So first of all, he's writing to Christians, and then this is what he says to those people, verses 16 and 17. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that, dot, dot, dot. Let's just pause there for a second. Can you imagine, um, imagine you're praying for one of your Christian friends, and it's kind of, uh, it's on, you're on the hoof, and you, you've not got lots of in detailed stuff like we had for Minnie, but you want to pray just general prayers of blessing for those friends. I wonder what you'd pray. I wonder what your go-to prayers are for your friends who are Christians, your best prayers. You know, you think, like, this is what I always pray for someone who's a Christian that I want God to do for them. And we're not going to share this in groups or shout it out. Just think, well, what are your, the prayers you pray for like that? What are your best prayers for Christians? Got it? Okay, let's see how that matches up then with Paul's. Because what we see here from Paul is probably one of his most the, the most go-to prayer that he prays in a number of letters, and we see it here. So let's go on to verse, uh, the next verse. What does he pray? I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here's the key bit. So that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. You think, yeah, okay, so we've heard that before, knowing God better. That's a very famous Christian phrase. Some, again, who's, who aren't Christians, maybe that sounds a bit odd. How do we know God at all? But we would, those who are Christians would be familiar with that. But what does it mean? What does it actually mean? And, and more importantly, how can we do it? We would understand what that meant in the context of people, obviously. We can get to know people. We can know them less. We can know them better. We'd have all sorts of ideas here of how to deepen a friendship with another human being. But how can we do that with our very creator? How can we get to know God better? Well, fortunately for us, that's what Paul now goes on to flesh out. He, he says he wants them to know God better, but now very helpfully, he breaks this down into three different things that he wants the Ephesians to know that will help them know God better. And just to flag them up, he wants them to know the hope God's called them to, the way that God values them, 
and the power that God makes available to them. The, way, the hope God called them to, the way God values them, and the power that he's made available to them. He lists those now, one after another. So let's, let's go to it. Next verse. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This is the first one. How do we know God better? Well, we know the hope to which God has called us. What's hope? Hope is the confidence of good things coming up in the future. That's what hope is, the confidence of good things coming up in the future. So when God says that to know God better is to know that he leads us into hope, what he's saying is that God's got a good future ahead of us. When we think of this good future, I think we we can and should think of it in two ways. We can think of it in big, big picture future, and we can think of it in smaller, personalized future as well. And I think Paul means it in both ways, though he lands it on the second. Think about big picture future uh, that's good, big picture hope, a cosmic hope. The cosmic hope that Paul is referring to here is the, the hope that all history is moving irresistibly towards a good conclusion. That's not a hope that most people would have. And actually, naturally speaking, that's not a hope that probably we should have. But Paul has it. He has a hope based in Jesus that good will on the final day, when the final page is turned, triumph over evil. That every act of kindness and love that has ever been done will be shown to have been a worthwhile and a wise act. And every act of selfishness and ruthless self-promotion and disrespect to God, his other people, and his creation will be revealed non, like, with no argument to have been pathetic, petty, and foolish. Justice will be done on the final day. There's a hope that a good, the world is going to a good conclusion. And Paul bases this in a very, very specific fact that he he holds on to and I'd encourage all of us as Christians to hold on to he said it in the passage from last week at the right time God will bring everything together under the authority of Christ think about it what he's saying is that good is gonna win because the most good person who has ever existed like the definition of good he will be ruler of everything the one who willingly gave up power the one who could have, uh, could have grabbed hold of like, his own rights, he should have done. You'd say, well, he deserved that. No, he didn't. No, he, he gave those things up. He embraced service. He embraced, embraced humility. Love for him was not just a catchphrase. It was the way that he did everything. That person will be given ultimate authority in the entire universe and will be crowned as king and everyone will see it. That's why good will prevail. It's an, I think it's an amazing vision of the future. It's a concrete vision of the future. It's an amazing hope. That's our cosmic hope as Christians. But the good future here is not just a big picture hope. It's a personalized hope as well. It's the, the hope to which God has called us to. And that's specific as well for Paul. Again, just not wanting to kind of keep going back to last week, but these are all things linked together. Uh, in verse 4, Paul fleshed this out. He said, God chose us in Christ to what? To be holy and without fault in his eyes. To be holy and without fault in his eyes. Holy, well, that's a kind of 
religiously word. We could spend five minutes on that. I'm not going to bother with that. Without fault. I think we can probably get that one. Most of us, we're there. We would all recognize we have faults, I would imagine. We have flaws in our personalities, in our characters. We wish those flaws and faults would be ironed out, I would imagine, would be the case. Some more uh, than others. And what he's saying is the hope for us is that, yeah, those, those hopes, those faults will be ironed out. God is, uh, God is at work in us to iron out those faults that we'd be holy and without fault in his eyes. I don't think perfectly this side of death, but one day, yes, and in this life, that we will be becoming more and more like that. He even layers even more of it onto that in just verses 12 and 14 uh, from last week. He chose us to bring praise and glory to God. What he's saying is that God's purposes and hope for us is that, yeah, he'd iron out those faults. He'd make us more, more like Jesus to such an extent that it would bring praise and glory to God. That's amazing. It was, it was uh, last week as we finished the talk, it was, uh, we, we got back up on our feet and we, we sung praise to God. It's to, we, as Jonathan finished, we, we're here to bring praise and glory to God. So we sung and, and we've sung today and it's wonderful to sing. And I, I wonder if some of you, uh, I, I don't know where I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, I'm feeling a bit bad bringing this to a close, like, because this is great. We're just worshiping Jesus. We're singing. And that's a really good response and a good part of praise. But I just want to be clear, if your mind goes with this verse, he's chosen me to bring praise and glory to God, that means I'm going to sing loads of worship songs. <laughs> I just think, well, maybe you can sing them along. But that is the tiniest outworking of this there is. Please do it, but it's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about our whole lives being changed so that other people say to us, I want to worship their God because of the amazing difference that he's made in that person's life. The hope that we have is that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we could be living, breathing monuments to God's glory. Not just that he's had mercy on people that didn't deserve it, but more than that, that he has the power to change us to almost look as if we did deserve it. That's the hope that God's got for us. I don't know about you, but when I think of myself, I, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm quite there yet, actually. I'm sure those who know me will agree with that. But you know what? When I see this kind of thing in the Bible, this is the hope to what God's called me. This is the future he has ahead of me. I, I think for me, the challenge is to take my eyes off my own weaknesses, the reasons why I think I'll never be able to get there, take my eyes off there and put them up and focus, no, on your strength, your ability to change me. Because that's where our hope lies. And that's the hope that Paul wanted to, these Ephesians to get hold of. So firstly then, Paul prayed the Ephesians to know God better. They'd know the hope to which they were called. Secondly, he wants them to know this. He prays that they would know the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Another thought exercise for you. Okay, we're not going to share this out loud again, but just think about it. When I say the word inheritance... Let your imaginations go. Where, where does your imagination go? Inheritance. What do you think of? What do you uh, imagine? What do you dream of? Where does that word take you? Got it? I'll tell you what's going on in my head. Uh, when I think of inheritance, I think of a, a letter coming through my letterbox. And it says, oh, dear Mr. Miller, uh, you probably didn't know, uh, but you had a rich billionaire relative. Uh, sadly, they've fallen off their yacht in the Mediterranean and have passed away. Uh, but... You probably didn't know this either. They have put you in their will. Uh, you have now uh, a series of villas in Spain. Um, a yacht or two as well. The one he fell off, not the so much. So we're going to bin that because you don't want his like, 
That's a bit morbid, but there's others, you know, you could have them. And there's loads of money, there's stuff like that. But when I think of inheritance, I start imagining things like that, okay? Um, you guys are much less worldly and materialistic than me, so yours would be different, okay? But I would imagine that you thought of positive things. Unless you're a real, like, real pessimist, you could have thought, oh, inheritance, I can inherit someone's debt. That would be a disaster, wouldn't it? <laughs> My guess would be most, anyone do that? Is anyone think, no, you know, inheritance is good, yeah? Okay, so we think of inheritance as a, our minds wander to good places, it's things we'd like to have, it's to, to desirable, almost precious things. And as has been, been mentioned, in the last chapter, in the last part of this chapter, uh, Paul mentioned very clearly, we have an inheritance from God. God's prepared good things for us as followers of Jesus, and that should encourage us. Interesting with this verse here, it's not talking about our inheritance at all. It's not an inheritance for us. This is talking about an inheritance for God. Look, it's his inheritance, his glorious inheritance. Well, what could be something that is a good thing that God would desire to have? What do you get? The person who has everything. Well, that's like times a million with God, isn't it? You know, what could he want? Well, he's here. It's in his holy people. Who are they? Well, if you like, you can have a little look around. As a, for a subsection of that group of people, that's us. That's his, his saints. That's Christians, those who follow Jesus. Do you want to know God better? Well, you've got to know this. When he thinks of an amazing inheritance, he doesn't think of holiday homes or jewels or private jets or suitcases full of money. He thinks of his people. He thinks of us. He thinks of having us, these people who we were excluded from God's friendship group because of our failings. He thinks of us being brought into not just his circle, but into his home, into his family. That's his inheritance. He thinks of seeing us, these battered and bruised and broken people who so often are trapped in these self-destructive cycles of behavior. He thinks of seeing us freed and flourishing as God's own image bearers. That's his inheritance. That's his joy. And those of us who know Jesus, we can be part of that. You want to know God? Well, if you want to know anyone, you've got to know what they value. And if you want to know God, you've got to know that he values you. You, as part of his church, are precious to him. So he wants them to know that. And finally, he wants them to know this. He wants them to know... Uh, his incomparably great power for us who believe. I mentioned a little on this already, but I want to dwell on it for the rest of our time because this is where Paul dwells here. And thankfully, he goes a little bit further than incomparably. Incomparably is not just a, quite a hard word to say. I don't know, we could split the room incomparably, incomparably. How does that one work? Um, but it's one of those words that's a bit annoying because it's like tantalizing to us. That's incomparably great. It means, oh, obviously it's good. But in the nature of the word itself, it kind of doesn't let you go anywhere else. It goes, and you can't compare it to anything. Oh, great, thanks. I can't understand it then. That's a pain. But luckily, Paul goes a little further than incomparably by now very much comparing it to some things or earthing this power in, I think, two specific things that help us to understand it really well. So the next verse is in this next verse. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Wow, that's, that's a favorite verse right there, guys. It's a pleasure to be able to preach on favorite verses. And it's a staggering verse. The same power we get available to us from God is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
Okay, I like to, I like to earth this in like, like in space-time continuum sort of terms. So let's think about this. That's the same power that came to uh, a lifeless corpse uh, that was cold on a slab in a tomb in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago and came upon that corpse and didn't just kind of go, oh, suddenly a pulse is back in the corpse. No, not at all. It turned that corpse into a, a living, breathing, eating, talking, shining, if you know the story. He shined. That was a nice touch. Okay. A living person who managed to roll away a giant stone and scatter an entire legion of Roman soldiers. Dead, lifeless corpse. Soldiers running for cover. That's the power that we're talking about here. That's the power that God makes available to us as Christians. Can I ask you a difficult question? Do parts of your life seem dead at the moment? Could be your marriage. Could be your relationship with your children. Children, it could be your relationship with your parents. Could be the dreams that you feel God has given you in the past. Maybe you just totally lost your mojo. I feel just dead inside. My energy's gone. My, my enthusiasm for life is gone. It's dead. You need to know this about God. He has got resurrection power available to you. And that would be a great place to finish. But Paul does not finish there. He goes on. There's even more than that. This power is another element. So he exerted this power when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Watch out for Paul getting excited here. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not just in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. <laughs> tell, tell us what you mean, Paul. What are you saying here? Is Jesus in charge or not? Um, I, th- I think he is. <laughs> the power of God that is available to us raises dead people to life, but it also raises lowly people to places of honor. Again, let's think about this very physically for a moment. What did God do to Jesus? Well, he raised him from a crucified criminal on a cross to the king of the entire universe. Crucified criminal on a cross. This is what that would have looked like to a bystander. You've got a man who has been beaten to within not just an inch, a millimeter of his life, who is naked, who is bleeding, who is completely broken, and is on public display to the whole of the people to see, humiliated and ashamed beyond anything you could ever imagine. That is what happened to Jesus. There to the king of everything, to whom every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, who his name's the best, like he's ahead of every power, under his feet is everything. That's a change right there. And it took power to the power of God. And that's the power that's available to us. To use other biblical images, it lifts the needy from the ashes. It raises us out of the mud. It gives us dignity. You may think of yourself, I don't know how you think of yourself uh, today. It's funny, in our culture, I think we probably, on the whole, think of ourselves too highly, not too, too little. But even within our kind of pride, I think there are moments where we go the opposite way as well. And sometimes those ways, you know what, they, from many angles, they can be fair. We, we see ourselves, well, we're barely able to hold it together at the moment, really. We put on a good front, but, you know, uh, we really, if people knew us, we'd, we'd be pitied, not praised, could be because of your mental health. 
You might be all over the place at the moment. Could be your physical health, which has taken a hit. Could be your past failings that have left scars on you that you just think, I'll never free myself from these. Could be other people's past failings that have humiliated you and crushed you. Well, God would want you to know that he has power for you. And it's the kind of power that lifts people just like you and just like me from where we are now over here to dignity and honor and responsibility even. I hope that all of this is kind of sounding appealing. <laughs> I hope this is encouraging. Yes, we know God. God, he, he, he gives us his hope. We, know, we want to know the hope to which we call. That sounds appealing. That, like, he values us. That sounds appealing. Yeah, like, he's got this strength and power for us. It's unbelievably mind-blowing. That sounds appealing. But if we were to leave it there, I, I think it would be a little unsatisfactory because if you're anything like me, I, I'd just be reading this thing. I want this to be more concrete. How do I get this power? How do I get this hope infused into my being? Is it just this carrot that's dangled just outside of my reach? So it's obviously, I know God has it, but it never seems to initiate into anything in my life. How does this work? Well, luckily for us, if you're on that page, Paul ends, the very final thing we're going to look at is something I think that's incredibly practical here. Do you remember where we've been? You've got God's uh, raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at the right hand in heaven, far above all things, placed everything under his feet. Well, why has he done it? Or to what purpose has he done it? Well, he says now, it's for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, in a sense, I guess this is just underlining what we've already seen, that God's a God who loves to give good gifts to his people. That's there. It's something that makes him very, very happy to do. And he uses his power and authority on our behalf. That's there. That's an, you could do, preach a number of sermons just on that alone. But along that, there's this funny little phrase at the end that I think is the practical bit I'm talking about. Because Paul's saying, look, how do we know God better? And where does he land it? He lands it in the church. That's where he lands it. In this series that we're doing on Ephesians, we're going to draw out all sorts of amazing truths that Paul uh, lands on in this, uh, in this letter. But where we're going to land each talk is we want to find out, amongst other things, something new about the church or something just to reinforce something about the church. And last week it was a, the church, the rejoicing community. That's right, isn't it? That was the heading. Um, which I've left it a bit late, but this is where I'm landing today about the church, is the church is a community where we get to know God better. The church is a community where we get to know God better. I'll unpack what you, I mean as we finish with this final statement, this amazing, amazingly confusing statement. The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's getting another one of those statements that's like, yeah, it sounds good. I've got to get all these fills and fullnesses in the right order. It's confusing. Well, I think we can get it. I think we can grasp it. We break it up. Paul's saying this, that, that Jesus fills everything. Just hold that for a second. Jesus fills everything in every way. That means he's in, let's split everything into two groups, the natural world and the and culture, nature and culture. Culture is what humans make of the natural world, okay? Jesus fills everything, all of that stuff. And Minnie said it earlier, actually. Where's Minnie gone? Was she over, over here? I said it earlier, said as she got to know people, it was a way of getting to know God. Well, that sounds funny. Why is that? Well, it's because... Jesus fills everything in every way. We're made in God's image. So obviously that's the case. That would be the case for the natural world as well. And you might well identify this, whether you're a Christian or not, actually. You might take this as a course of action to try to know God better. You might like to connect to God with a walk in the woods or bird spotting or gazing at the stars. Why would, 
why would that work? Well, I think it does work. I think you can connect to God in that way. Because why? Because Jesus fills everything in every way, including the natural world. So that's a good thing to do. Please keep doing that. That's great. Perhaps you like to connect with God slightly differently, though. Perhaps you like to connect with God through music, or visiting an art gallery, or watching a film, or reading a book. That, too, is a great way to connect with God. Why? Because Jesus fills everything in every way, nature and culture. As an aside, he doesn't just fill the subsections of human culture we find in a Christian bookshop. End of parenthesis. Another sermon. He fills everything in every way. So those places, if you go to them with the right spirit and look for Jesus there, you will probably find him somewhere. And I think Paul would agree. But he'd agree and at the same time point you to somewhere better. Because you say, yes, he feels everything, but there's one place in that everything which is we can call his fullness. He's even more filling that one thing. And that place is the church. The church is the fullness of him who feels everything in every way. I want to be as clear as I can on this one. By that I mean... I don't mean, sorry, I don't mean in the building that's called the church. I think most of us would understand that, mainly because we don't really have a building, we meet in a school, okay? But some people would, would need to hear that. I think more for us, I don't mean as well during the meetings that this church puts on, like this meeting this morning. That's there somewhere, but I don't think that's what he means. I, I mean in the church, by meaning in the relationships and the, the kind of activities, if I can put it like that, that makes the church the church. Yeah, I believe Jesus is here with us this morning as we worship, as we, as we listen to the preachers, as we pray. I believe that. I believe he's there in our community group meetings, and he's there at meetings like Breathe that we do on Sunday evenings. But that's not Paul's main point here. I think it's harder to visualize, but where do you want to see Jesus? Where do you want to get to know God better? Where do you see him? Well, it's found. That's found as we work out our discipleship alongside the church. As we commit to the vision and the direction of the church. As we rejoice with the rejoicing friends in our church. As we mourn with the mourning friends in our church. As we, yes, pray and worship together. As we, yes, study God's word together. As we look to serve our city and share the good news together. God's fullness dwells in those interactions. In those friendships. In those encouragements. In those coming alongside. In those learning from each other's. As we do those things... I think our knowledge of God moves from the head, from the cerebral, to the intensely practical. Well, how does that work? Well, it works like this, I think. We get injections of hope as we deepen our friendships with people who share that hope. We understand how much God values us as we receive love and kindness and give love and kindness to people who God values too. We experience God's power. Resurrecting dead areas of our lives, lifting us up to dignity and honor. Yeah, sometimes by God, kind of these powerful moments of encounter with God. That happens and we chase after those things. But I'll be honest, that's not the main way I've known God's power in my life. The main way has been receiving support, encouragement and the prayer and love of others in the church who also have that power running through their veins. We can't just focus on, God, give me breakthrough, pray, pray. If we're all off on our own doing that, you know what, you're, to a significant degree, I think Paul would say you're cut off to, from the full power of God in your life. Because the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
And so let's press in to the church. I have just one, one like, application today. It's vague and you can take it where you want to, but I'd say press into the church. Default setting, seeing as we are, we are a church meeting today, this church. But you know, if you're from somewhere else, from far away just visiting, you know, press into your church. Press into that church. Don't stay on the fringe. Don't just be an attender. Please don't just be an attender. Don't just be someone who spectates and just dips in every now and again. Throw it all in. Why? Well, because this is the fullness, an, an example of the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's Jesus' very body. As we do that, we cry out to his spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, as Paul, uh, Paul tells us, that he will work through that. This is a special, special place, the church. Because we have a special, special God who wants to bless us. And he's found the way to do it. And this is one of his key ways of doing it. And so we're going to close. And uh, I'm going to pray for his spirit to kind of grab hold of this stuff. Grab hold of us. And then send us on our merry way.